Hello, everyone. Welcome to A Seat at the Table. I'm your host, Bianca Heron, lead editor for HR Daily Advisor. This podcast provides thoughtful conversations about diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging in the workplace with experts, leaders, and change makers in the space. I'm so excited for today's episode and more than delighted to be joined by Dr. Marlette Jackson, the Global Director of Equity, Diversity, and Inclusion at Virgin Pulse, the world's largest provider of digital health and well-being solutions. Dr. Marlett also brings her experience as a DEI consultant for Bay Area Technology Companies, Manager of Diversity and Inclusion at UT Southwestern Medical Center, as well as Assistant Director of Equity and Inclusion at Sanford School of Engineering to the Table. Dr. Marlett, thank you so much for being here today. How are you? I'm doing well. Much better now that I get to have this conversation with you. So thanks so much for providing the platform. Absolutely. I appreciate it. And of course, appreciate your time being here. I'm super excited for our conversation today. So let's dive right into it, shall we? Let's go. What is your definition of having a seat at the table? For me, I think having a seat at a table means it's, first of all, a table that is welcoming and inclusive of all, right? I think historically and even uh, contemporarily, a lot of the tables have not been ones that have been constructed um, with folks who are um, underrepresented in mind, right? So I think having a seat at the table versus being mindful of who created that table and being sure that there are plenty of BIPOC folks, plenty of folks from the LGBTQIA plus community, plenty of folks from um, the disability community uh, involved in creating that table. And then once the creation of a table is one where we all had a hand, a seat at the table means that we all have an equal amount of voice, an equal mm-hmm. amount of perspective that we can bring. And to me, it's it's going a little bit further than voice, but also action and that action being amplified. So mm-hmm. that to me is kind of what I think about when I think about a seat at the table. That's amazing. Thank you for that. A wonderful response. You just talked about inclusion. I heard belonging in there too. COVID-19 has fast-tracked so many things and of course topics like diversity and inclusion were top of mind before COVID-19, but now it seems like it's just blown everything to smithereens. Forced a lot of changes as well, including culture, the way we work as well as how and when. In today's climate, What do you think it takes to cultivate an excited, engaged, and productive workforce? To cultivate an excited, engaged, and um, a productive workforce, I think we first have to ask ourselves, well, what have we done has Mm -hmm. been successful? And then what can we do better? Mm -hmm. And so it really takes a company having an internal look at themselves and seeing how have they contributed to the current workplace environment and how can they then kind of right their wrongs in that sense, right? And some of the things that organizations can do to create a more engaged environment is to incorporate employee voice, right? Whether that be surveys, whether that be focus groups, whether that be um, different, you know, committees coming together, but making sure this is more of co-creation as opposed to top-down <laughs> facilitation, mm-hmm. I think is imperative. Because oftentimes, you know, you have folks in C-suite saying, I think we need X, Y, and Z for our culture to be more engaged. Mm-hmm. And when you're at that level, you often have very little understanding of how most folks feel. Mm-hmm. 
And so co-creation, I think, is essential in thinking about and creating a more engaged um, and productive workforce. I think another thing that's really important is understanding and really, 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 really holstering it on employee well-being. You know, prior to, I would say, five years ago, we didn't have as many conversations about employee mm-hmm. well-being and mental health in the workplace. Mm-hmm. They were kind of just things that you just didn't talk about. Mm-hmm. There was a stigma attached to it. But I think now employees are kind of demanding almost that employee well-being be part of the conversation. Mm-hmm. And what that looks like is understanding both how these sort of meta societal shifts affect mm-hmm. employee well-being and productivity, and mm-hmm. also how your culture affects mm-hmm. employee well-being and mental health. So there have been lots of stats, but one that I hold on to is that the kind of killing of an unarmed Black man causes 1.7 additional days of poor mental health for Black Americans every year. Wow. So knowing that you as a company, you as an employer, you as an organization have to be able to implement different initiatives, programs, even communications to be able to understand that that's going to affect how your mm-hmm. Black employees show up. Yeah. So what are you going to do about that, right? And then also when they show up, are they being hit over the head with microaggressions? Do they mm-hmm. have an environment where they don't feel like they can grow? Are they being paid equitably according to their peers, mm-hmm. right? So it's about understanding the societal as well as the kind of organizational culture and what's going on and how you can kind of make it better. Mm-hmm. I think a, a, a last key thing that I'll hinge on when it comes to a productive and engaged workforce. Uh, so I talked about employee voice, co-creation, I talked about well-being. I think an important thing also is how DEI is interweaved into all of it, right? Mm-hmm. Making sure you have an inclusive environment making sure that diversity is a top priority, making sure that equity is a top priority. When Mm -hmm. we're thinking about the great resignation, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. Um, The great attrition, I've I've Mm -hmm. seen, why can't we make the great attrition the great attraction? Yeah. What are you doing as an employer to attract this top talent that is leaving because Mm -hmm. they feel like my current employer isn't doing what I need, right? So it's about reframing the conversation and it's about, being intentionally inclusive and making sure people know that, but also doing the work to make sure that happens, right? Mm -hmm. So that's everything from making sure you have employee resource groups, making sure people are being paid equitably, making Mm -hmm. sure there is talent from different backgrounds, identities, perspectives at the highest leadership levels. Mm -hmm. I need to be able to see myself to know that I can ascend higher on the career ladder, right? Mm -hmm. That means making sure that when I come into the workplace environment, I'm coming with colleagues who know how to work with people from different backgrounds, who have cultural competency. So Mm -hmm. it's about um, considering all those things, because what we've seen is that if folks are not receiving that, Mm -hmm. they're going to leave. You know, (laughs) this generation is just not having it. (laughs) So it's just about making sure that you are supplying that um, because it's definitely a demand. It's amazing how all of these things tie back into inclusion. Uh, and it's all about making people feel welcome and like they belong. And also um, that they, they feel like they can bring themselves, their authentic selves, right? Into the workplace as well, uh, that keeps them happy and keeps them there too. Uh, and we're, of course, we're hearing a lot of talk about authenticity versus an adaptive self in the workplace today. 
Can you talk about the importance of authenticity in today's work culture and the value it can bring to organizations? Absolutely. I used to be like a person who was always like, I want to bring my authentic self to the workplace. I want to be, you know, authentic. And Mm -hmm. I recently, it was uh, both an HBR article as well as a TEDx talk um, Mm -hmm. by Jodi Ann Beery. And I really took heed to what she said about authenticity in the workplace. I was listening to something she was talking about, and I think the title was Authenticity in the Workplace is a Trap. Mm -hmm. And it talked about how, especially for BIPOC folks, for women, for um, folks who come from a number of different kind of under-supported backgrounds and identities and perspectives, that Mm -hmm. it's very difficult to bring your authentic self to the workplace Mm -hmm. when there is consequence to do so, right? Mm -hmm. It's very difficult I'll give you an example. I wear my hair natural at work and uh, it wasn't at this current organization, but um, another organization where I decided to wear box braids Mm. and uh, I had this colleague come up to me, former colleague, and they said, oh, Marlette, you know, I love your braids. Like it's so sophisticated and it's Mm. so professional, not like your typical sassy hairstyle. (laughs) It's like... (laughs) Uh, I, I don't even know what to say to this. It's uh, awkward. <laughs> and so it's in it's instances like those or instances where, you know, somebody may um, identify as part of the LGBT community and they may be talking about their partner and using the pronouns of the partner. And then all of a sudden the faces change on that Zoom call, right? They're like, oh, I didn't know so-and-so was, you know, right. And so it's like, Yes, we want to be able to bring our authentic selves, whether that mean, you know, having a casual conversation about what you did over the weekend and mentioning your partner or wearing your hair the way you want to wear it, mm-hmm. or being able to talk about you have to leave work early because you have child care responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. Or caregiving responsibilities. You, we want to be able to do that, but mm-hmm. do the systems and structures and culture in place allow us to do that? So mm-hmm. I was a really interesting take about before we are asking or requiring people who come from these very uh, minoritized backgrounds to to do something that's out of their comfort zone, why don't we create the environment where they can do that? Let's put the onus back on the company, the organizations, these systems and structures that have made them feel othered before we are requiring something of them that exposes them and makes them vulnerable and poses them to consequence, right? Mm-hmm. My authentic self and the way that I speak to my family and friends is very different than the Marlette I'm giving you right now. Okay. And and I'm not sure if the way I talk to my family and friends is going to be received well in the workplace. So it's like, yeah, bring your authentic self, but with a caveat, because Marlette's authentic self, I'm not quite sure I would still, you know, be able to have the same sway and influence or being seen as having that quote unquote executive presence, right? That very vague term. Mm -hmm. And so it's about, instead of asking this of folks, why don't you create the space that they can actually have that and the systems and structures to support it? So um, I love that reframe. And it's been something that I've been thinking about ever since. Not too long ago, you said that Basically, the perspective, the lens has to change. What do you think HR leaders and organizations, what can they do to change their lens? What if they frame conversations? I love that question. I think 
one of the things that is important when we're thinking about changing that lens is thinking mm-hmm. about who whose eyes are you know using that frame and it, part of it is about making sure we have a variety of different eyes using that frame and having mm-hmm. those different lenses mm-hmm. and so to me the first thing is having a diverse group of folks who are helping HR leaders and who are HR leaders with these questions. I think a second thing is HR leaders definitely need to like lead the charge, but it has to be, it can't be a siloed effort because HR leaders only have that vantage point, right? Mm -hmm. We need the vantage point of the engineers. We need the vantage point of the folks in sales. We need the vantage point of the folks in various different departments and product to also help us understand what's next Mm -hmm. and how we can lead the forefront and being more inclusive. So I think the first part is whose lens are we looking through? The second part is how do we incorporate a wide variety of key stakeholders Mm and thinking it through what's next? That's the only way it'll be sustainable, right? Is if we have a variety of key stakeholders who are saying, yep, I want to do that. It also helps further incentivize folks to be, want to see, you know, this kind of happen and come to fruition. I was involved in creating the plan. Then I have a vested interest in making sure that it's successful. You kind of get both, you you know, you kind of get, you kind of win both, right? Where it's like, I'm making sure that it's not just coming from my vantage point. I'm incorporating other voices and I'm also ensuring the sustainability because other folks will feel tied to it, to this broader, bigger purpose. And then they'll be the ones who will help with the execution as well. Amazing. Wonderfully said. And what is Virgin Post doing to ensure it bakes diversity, equity, and inclusion into its own corporate culture? Of course, it's digital platform as well. I think a few things that we're doing uh, kind of start with embedding DEI into our people processes. It can't be the silo thing on the side where it's mm-hmm. just like, you know, a nice to have. I think people are starting to realize that DEI is an organizational imperative. And if you don't get mm-hmm. it right, then people are going to leave. Yeah. Like it is what it is. You need to get it right or you're not going to be able to sustain <laughs> Uh, uh, workforce because it's just going to be so much attrition Mm -hmm. and retention is a key thing that all businesses and organizations are thinking about right now Mm -hmm. is keeping talent because people are leaving. (laughs) And so when it comes to thinking about what we've been doing, um, for example, one of the things that we notice or see kind of not necessarily just at Virgin Pulse, but in the industry in general, is that there are some folks who won't even apply. They look at the job description and they say, I don't check all the boxes or this role might just be too much out of my league. I don't have, I don't know if I can do this. And so one of the things we did at Virgin Pulse was since we know the research that men are much more likely to apply to jobs, even mm-hmm. if they don't meet all the criteria, much more likely than women are. We decided to add to all of our job descriptions, just a simple text that says says something along the lines of like, even if your story may look a little bit different than, you know, what we have here, we still encourage you to apply. We would love to hear about your value add and your contributions to this role. It's just a little nudge to say, hey, 
we understand you're looking at this job description and you may be like, oh, I don't know, but we still want you to apply because mm-hmm. don't discount yourself out of the game, right? Make mm-hmm. sure that you are also putting yourself out there. And then why don't we both have a conversation to see if this is something that aligns with your career goals? So mm-hmm. that's one thing we did. Another thing we've done is when we're thinking about performance management, embedding DEI into that process as well. So I, I partner a lot with our learning and development team. And, mm-hmm. you know, every year, different, uh, you know, companies do trainings on performance management, performance training, goal setting, performance conversations. And what's really exciting is that we are partnering on these trainings that are going out to both managers and to all employees. And we're baking in DEI into that process. We're talking about how biases and performance evaluations affect career opportunities for different groups. We're talking about the fact that oftentimes women of color um, and women in general receive personality criticisms Mm -hmm. in their performance evaluations. And most of the time men will receive actual tangible technical feedback on performance evaluations. Let's make sure you don't do that. (laughs) We're talking about how we're a global company and how different cultures view leadership. In the U.S., we may view leadership um, in one way, but in more Eastern cultures, they view leadership in a different way. As a manager, you have to think bigger than your lens of leadership and not be evaluating your employees who may not be U.S.-based with that lens, right? Mm. So it's about being aware of that type of bias. So we're basically Mm. trying to equip our managers and our employees with understanding how bias shows up and Mm. what you can do to mitigate the likelihood that that affects performance evaluations. And then I'll give a third thing um, that I'm really proud of. Last year, we had, we invited Dr. Megan O'Reilly in. She's both a licensed psychologist as well as um, she does a lot of DEI work. She's Mm -hmm. an expert. And what she did was she did this a month long process called the gathering space for our Mm -hmm. black employees. And she offered um, weekly sessions where she guided conversations on everything from racial trauma to uh, Black joy, to Black resistance, to microaggressions in the workplace, and Mm. also equipped our employees with the skills they needed to navigate that workplace trauma. And that was an amazing combination of DEI and wellness in that we needed to be sure that during this time where our employees, especially our Black employees, are facing so many different pressures, we need to have a space where there's someone who is, you know, a licensed psychologist who can help them because we definitely had tears, um, right. but also a space where it's a space for you and that affinity to be together and to just hold community. And it was beautiful. The impact was amazing. And they felt seen, they felt heard, they felt valued, and they felt like Virgin Pulse really cares about my well being. That's amazing. I had chills with that in mind. Um, what do you see corporate culture headed? Where I see headed or where I want to see it headed? <laughs> well, I mean, listen, let's be candid here. I want to know what where you see it heading, but, but what you want to see. I have seen a little bit of a, I would say, decline mm. in the emphasis placed on DEI, just a little bit, mm-hmm. since mm-hmm. like I feel like it was heightened in 2020. And... I would love to see, I would love us to keep that same energy that we had in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
So when it comes to corporate culture, I would love for us to keep that same energy we had in 2020, that same fervor, that same, the same dollar signs. People were like, I'm going to give this much money to this, right. I'm gonna that to that. Yeah. Can we do that again? But every year, <laughs> like, <laughs> that's where I would like to see corporate culture headed. I would like to see corporate culture headed in a space where folks are really leaders, yes. are really understanding that we are different than previous generations of thought as it comes to staying at a company for 20 years, keeping mm-hmm. our head down and just, you know, putting at work. We are in a different space, a different time, a different era. And mm-hmm. that requires a different approach that requires you to think differently about how you schedule meetings mm-hmm. that requires you to think differently about asking people to do work on the weekends mm-hmm. <laughs> that Absolutely. requires you to think differently about viewing DEI as a nice to have versus an organizational imperative that mm-hmm. requires you to think differently about how you've incorporated employee voice and more than just valuing their perspectives, actually acting on their perspectives, right? Yes. I think mm-hmm. it requires us to think very differently. And I'm hoping that corporate culture realizes it. organizations driving corporate culture realize that and then do the work to see it come to fruition chills again if uh, i literally if i had imaginary pom-poms over here i'm just waving them around honestly that's amazing <laughs> i love that <laughs> beautifully said my final question for you today what's on your heart Whew, so deep um <laughs> <laughs> i think what's on my heart is i think a call to reimagine unlearn and to reinvent mm. our traditional approach to things and really to just tear it down and build something anew. I think we're at a we're at a critical kind of juncture mm. in society, in corporations, personally, that we can't keep doing what we've been doing and expect like these amazing outcomes. So what's on my heart is for us to really question have these, you know, how have our traditional efforts served us and how have they maybe limited us and to question what we've done and then to be fearless in our pursuit of something new. Chills again, chills again, beautifully said. Uh, and I could not agree more. Uh, Marlon, I completely and wholeheartedly thank you for taking the time to be here today. Uh, the conversation was amazing. And again, I truly appreciate your time. Of course. And um, thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. To our listeners, thank you for tuning in. Remember, you can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, and Audible. Again, I'm Bianca Heron. Join us next time at the table. We'll certainly have your seat waiting for you. <laughs>